Amen. Thank you. If you're turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll be reading a lengthy passage, verses 1 through 13. You'll want to follow on the printed page as I read aloud. As we continue to see shadows of Christ throughout the Old Testament, it says beginning in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered him, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all of the land that land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you would look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Zippah. Saul's servant and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons of your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. We come to the time when David has finished the warring that he had been involved in. He is now setting up his own personal kingdom and he appoints his chief 
officers. All of that is a part of this book. Uh, Jehoshaphat was the recorder or writer of the Chronicles. Sariah was the scribe or the secretary. And David's sons were chief rulers because they were all princes, or they were each a prince. He now wanted to recognize and give a place of honor to any member that belonged to the house of Saul. Remember that Saul and all of his family, his sons and their children, were taken out. They were annihilated. Jonathan, along with their families, had been killed on Mount Gilboa at the hands of the Philistines, if you remember. Saul, when he saw that he was going to be overtaken, asked his armor-bearer to take his life for him, and the armor-bearers refused and said he couldn't do that. So Saul fell upon his own sword. The armor-bearer, seeing that Saul was dead, fell upon his own sword like his king. He asked David now, ask if anyone living anywhere was a member of the house of Saul that he wanted to bring him there. There was a servant, as we just read, in the house of, of Saul that was summoned, and his name was Ziba. When questioned, he told David that one of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was surviving and he was living down in Lodabar. And he sent for him to be brought to his house. As I said a few minutes ago as we read, his name was Mephibosheth. Now, I don't know anybody that named their son Mephibosheth today to you. If they do, they probably got a little bit missing up here. But he was named Mephibosheth. Wouldn't you like to have that name all of your life? I'd be hiding down in Lodabar too if that was my name. But that was his name, and he sent for him and uh, brought him to his house. Yet David, in turn, gave him all that had belonged to King Saul. All of the land, all of the servants, anyone that was surviving that belonged to King Saul was given to Mephibosheth. And he gave him all that belonged to his grandfather Saul. But, his, but as for Mephibosheth, even though he, he gave the servants the responsibility of tending the land and bringing in the harvest, that all of them would have something to eat. He said, don't you worry about Mephibosheth. He's going to eat continually at the king's table. And he says, I'm going to have him sit at the king's table as one of the sons of the king. And he also assigns Ziba and his sons and their servants to take care of the land, as we said. I believe as we look at this narrative today, we'll see afresh some things that jump out to us, truths concerning David and Jonathan's Mephibosheth that draw a beautiful picture of God's wonderful grace as we find in Christ Jesus. 
First of all, we're going to look at the condition that required grace. And then secondly, the compassion that rendered grace. And then the contrition that received grace. Let's look at the condition that required grace. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was just a, a, just a lad when, uh, matter of fact, a small child when his father Jonathan and all of his uncles and, and his grandfather Saul, their lives were taken. His name is a, is a shameful thing as thus being the son of Saul, the rightful son of Saul, uh, to be to the throne. But instead of living as a pauper, hiding from King David, he's given the opportunity to be in the house of the king, to eat at the king's table, and to come and live there with David. He was lame on his feet, the scripture says. Now, that happened when he was a little bitty boy. When Saul's men were being overtaken and all were being killed, his nurse went to run with him that she might help him escape, that he might survive all of that murderous thing that was taking place. And while she's running to get him to safety, she trips and falls and lands on the kid and crushes his legs. And he was never able to walk from then. He was lame from that very time. Helpless. Always needing someone else to take care of him. He is uh, living in the house of Macher, or Macher, whichever. And the name means to sold, be sold to. He had been sold into slavery. What in the world he could do in that condition, I do not know. But he'd been sold. He belonged to Macher. He was living in the land of Lodabar, and the name of Lodabar means no pasture or a place of famine. He belonged to someone else, living under the authority of someone else when he was the grandson of the previous king and he's living in a place that is in total poverty because of a famine. His was a condition that required grace, was it not? Why? Because first of all, he was corrupted by his family. He belonged to the family of Saul, who was his grandfather, who disobeyed God at Amalek when he spared the life of Agag and kept the best of the livestock instead of destroying it all as God had commanded him. As a result, God's hand of protection was lifted from him and he was killed as he took his own life. Mephibosheth was the only one to escape with his life. He was corrupted by a family. He was crippled by fall. He was controlled by fault. He could not go and do 
as he would like to have done. He was dependent on someone else doing for him, someone else taking him where he needed to go. And he is caught in a famine, a famine where he had not even the needs of life being met. What a description of lost humanity. What a description of lost men and women and boys and girls as we know them today, corrupted by the family, the family of Adam. For the scripture says, in that one has sinned, all have sinned. And we see that picture being drawn of someone who is, is caught in that condition and, and corrupted by a family, crippled by a fall, helpless and controlled by a sinful nature, caught in a famine, famine, dying. That is the picture of lost humanity. That is the picture of the lostness that surrounds us in Montgomery, Alabama. That's a picture of the lostness that surrounds us throughout the world. People without Christ, people who are crippled by the fall of, of our forefather Adam, people who are helpless outside of the grace of God and folks that are in need of the gospel being given to them that may be they may be raised out of that and receive hope. Caught in a famine, dying. And we understand there are those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And the only hope for them is the grace of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice not only the condition that required grace, but the compassion that rendered grace. David said, go get him. Go find him and bring him here. It was a compassion that David had that rendered that grace. It was a seeking grace. He didn't say, let's just pray and maybe he'll come here. He didn't say, well, maybe he'll come to himself and, and get somebody to bring him. He said, no, I want you to go find him. Go seek him wherever he is and bring him here. Let me remind you that Jesus came, the Bible says, to seek and to save those who are lost, not waiting for mankind to turn back to a holy God or to repent from his sin. Jesus came to seek the lost and offer salvation to all of us. God's grace is a seeking grace. You didn't go looking for grace. You didn't go looking for Jesus. You didn't go looking for the Holy Spirit. You sat under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit when someone, either from the pulpit or in your home or at your workplace or in the field, someone shared with you God's love for you and the offer of forgiveness and to be brought at to the king's table to be made a somebody, a child of the king, a son of the king, a daughter of the king, and someone Get shared that with you, and you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not only a seeking grace, it is a saving grace. David rescued him from slavery, rescued him from starving, rescued him from death. 
Is that not a picture of God's grace toward us? We sing the old hymn, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained in within, sinking to rise no more. But the master, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now saved am I. It was a seeking grace, a saving grace, but it was a sovereign grace. You see, David didn't have to do it. He's king. He has come to the throne. He's set up his kingdom. He's already appointed those that would rule with him. Everything is going his way. He didn't have to do it. In his sovereignty as the king, he made the decision and the commitment to do it. He didn't owe it to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth had, had never done anything for him. They had never had any even kind of relationship. They had never even met as far as we know because he was the infant son of Jonathan, David's friend. No one have ever accused him of being unreasonable had he not done it. But listen to what he says. He did it for Jonathan's sake. He didn't do it for Mephibosheth's sake. He did it for Jonathan's sake. I want to remind you that God did not have to save you. God did not have to save me. He didn't owe us anything. He did not owe us forgiveness. He did not owe us to raise us from death into life. He did not do it. He chose to do it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and brought you to that place where you responded to that amazing grace and came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it for Jesus' sake. Ephesians reminds us of that. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You're not forgiven. You're not saved because of who you are. I'm not saved because of who I am. I, I, I am not deserving of God's salvation. Matter of fact, someone who is going to be saved must understand that they are undeserving of it, that they deserve hell for eternity, and they are hopelessly, helplessly outside of the family of God and come to the understanding that it's God's grace that is offered to them. God offers them forgiveness not because of who they are. They are offered grace because of who Jesus is. You're saved for Jesus' sake. Every time a sinner is converted... Every time a lost person that is bound for hell is turned around and now has a home in heaven, every time that takes place, the Lord Jesus Christ is honored by the Father and he saves that soul for Christ's sake, that his death will not be dishonored, that it will not be null and void, it would be for no purpose. But instead, he makes purpose out of what took place and his death on the cross. Every time a sinner comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he did it for Jesus' sake. Every time someone is saved, it is the Father honoring the Son's sacrifice on the cross for Calvary. When he became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness 
of God in him. And God honors that, what the Son has done for us. It is not only a, a grace, that a condition that required grace, and we see a compassion that rendered this grace, but I want you to see the contrition that received this grace. Look at what Mephibosheth called himself, a dead dog. Now, we've used that phrase. You've heard it used by your grandparents and, and, and the former generations. You may not use it very much anymore, but we've heard that phrase, I'm a dead dog. And, and we really mean there's no hope for me <laughs> I really have blown it this time. I'm a dead dog. And that comes from this passage in the Bible where Mephibosheth says, why would you do this for a dead dog such as I? You see, he didn't deserve grace. He was helpless, hopeless. He was crippled by a fall. He had belonged to the wrong family, if you want to say it that way. And he did not deserve it. He didn't seek grace. Nobody goes looking for God, but God comes looking for you. Nobody goes seeking salvation from the Father, but the Father's salvation through the Son comes seeking you through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God who does all of the work, all of the convicting, even gives you the faith to believe it is all the work of God. It is a contrition that receives it that did not even seek it, and he did not even understand it. We sing that old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace. We never, ever get over the fact that God's amazing grace has been extended to us and we have been forgiven and given life in Christ Jesus. David gave him fellowship. He was far removed from the house of the king. Now, if everything had gone like God had intended it and wanted Saul to act how he wanted him to act and be king to begin with, he would have been sitting at the king's table as a grandson of the king. His father, Jonathan, would have been in, in a place of authority. But no, he belonged to a fallen family. He belonged to a family that it was outcast and was unable to live in the king's palace, unable to be associated with royalty. But listen, because of God's wonderful grace, we are brought into the house of the king. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It's God's amazing grace, an undeserved grace that contrition 
receives him. He gives him fellowship. Can you imagine what he thought when Zippa came and told him that he was invited to come uh, to the king's palace? When he came and told him that he'd been looking for him because King David had told him to go get him. He thought he would manage to go undetected. He was living in another country. He, he was living in a place caught in a famine where nobody wanted to go visit. He was living in a place belonging to somebody else as he, that person was his master. He had been purchased. He was done in. He had no hope of ever going to Jerusalem. He had no hope of ever sitting in the king's palace. He had no hope of sitting at the king's table and eating with the king. But this grace was extended to him and the contrition that responded to this received grace. So he knew that life was over. He knew that he was going to go to see David, and David's going to tell him to take him out somewhere and destroy the last living member of Saul's family. And that's the way it was done. When one monarch has passed on, the next one moves into power, and every member of the previous monarch's family is destroyed. And that's exactly what he knew was coming to him. Mephibosheth, he knew he had no hope. And Ziba came and says, the king wants you to come. And he says, oh, Lord, I hope this wouldn't happen. I didn't think you would ever find me down here in this disgraced condition. I didn't think anybody would come to this place. And you've come, I've got to go back and uh, to uh, that Jerusalem. I've got to go see the king. And of course, he says, yes, he wants to see you. And listen to what Mephibosheth said. What do you have to do with me? A dead dog such as I All you had to do was tell Ziba to kill me. All you had to do was send out word that you knew where I was and to, for somebody to come and take my life. I, I'm a dead dog and I'm here before you. What do you have to, what do you want with me? A dead dog such as I. What did David respond and say? I want you to eat continually at my table. He said it no less than three times. And then we're told that it became reality. Grace extended to a dead dog such as Mephibosheth. And not only did he live in the king's palace, but he ate there day in and day out. He adopted him as his own son, according to verse 11. Took him into his own family and made him his own son. Oh, he did more than that. I hope you've seen God's amazing grace in this. He gave him a fortune. Ziba was living in poverty. Not Ziba, Mephibosheth. He was living in poverty. A slave, I remind you again. Could do nothing for himself. 
He is crippled. He's unable to walk. He cannot work. He has nothing that belonged to his family. Everything that Saul owned has been taken over, taken away from him. He doesn't even have a pension coming in, nothing coming in. But David says, come on, I'm going to make you as one of my own sons. And I'm going to give you everything that your granddaddy all of his land I'm going to give to you and I'm going to do better than that I'm going to give you the servant that belonged to your granddaddy and all of his sons that work for him I'm going to give him to work the land for you they're going to keep it up they're going to harvest that that is, is, is grown and they're going to bring all the proceeds to you but you don't have to worry about anything I'm going to feed you every day at my table you're going to feast in the king's house you're going to be a part of my family I make you my own son sort of sounds like me I once was an outcast, stranger, an alien by birth, a sinner by choice, and a stranger on earth. But I've been adopted. My name's written down. I'm an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. I'm a child of the king. Woo! I'm a child of the king. Jesus is my Savior, and I'm a child of the King. Oh, the contrition that received grace gave him everything that belonged to his grandfather. Let me tell you something. When God saved you, he didn't do a halfway job of doing it. He restored to you. Listen, this is good stuff right here. He restored to all of his children everything we lost in the fall. Everything that was lost by the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. He's restored it all to us because we, he's adopted us as his own children. Children of the king. What a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful to be a child of the King today. I, I, I'm thankful that Jesus is my Savior, and I'm a child of the King. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and I conclude. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits set forth or sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Wow. David said, says you don't have to worry about a thing I have ministering servants they belong to Saul your grandfather they're going to do everything for you 
You're going to get all the benefits from it. But they're going to do everything for you. And God says to his adopted children, we've been adopted into the family of God. I give you all that was lost. And he says even much further than that, I send my servants, I send the angels, that they are the ministering spirits all around you, working and protecting and being there. Let me tell you what, I believe all around this building today, they're the angels of God camped out and protecting those of us who are in this place worshiping. They're everywhere. They're everywhere you go. Whatever you're doing, God has sent his angels to minister to his adopted children. And they're there all the time. I'm thankful for what God has done through his amazing grace in my life. Pictured in the Old Testament once again in the story of Mephibosheth, an heir of Saul, an enemy of the king, King David, but brought into the house of the king. The Bible says, while we were yet the enemies of God, God extended his forgiveness his love, his salvation. Now we're a part of the family. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you that you use the word to remind us over and over again of your marvelous, wonderful, matchless grace. And Lord, that we are the recipients of that amazing grace. Lord, we we are amazed today. We're overwhelmed. We're thankful. We rejoice. And we give you glory and praise for all that you've done for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, may we magnify you by the way that we live. May we give testimony of the grace that we've received. And Lord, may we tell it to somebody else that they may come to know Jesus. For it's in his name we pray.